Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. Through good times and bad, Trupanion is here for you. The Trupanion policy helps cover the cost of unexpected accidents and illness for your pets. The Trupanion team is still available, even in lockdown, 24-7, to help your pet. They also have a program dedicated to breeders, so you can send your litters home protected. Their breeder support program provides special offers that waive the waiting periods for your buyers. It's absolutely free for you to get started. Just sign up on the link at the website, puredogtalk.com. Don't forget, mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am super excited. In this whole month of July, we're doing cool things to do with your dog outside. And we've done a lot of different sports. We've done virtual rally and trick dog and all kinds of fun stuff. So now we're going to talk about a new one to me. I know nothing about this. So I have Chelsea Murray here to talk about dry land mushing and dog-powered sports on land versus on snow. So this is like so cool because <laughs> I feel like this is something everybody can get out and do, right, Chelsea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have to be a super athlete to do it either. There's lots of different ways that oh, you can get Oh, that's super important. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of dog size or human size or your capability, there are lots of different ways that you can get involved with this sport. Okay. See, that's very cool to know. So give us a little 411 on yourself. How did you get started in dogs? How did you get started with Alaskan Malamutes? How did you get started with this particular sport? Yeah. So I'm one of those stereotypical people that grew up with dogs and horses. I was really big in horse competitions when I was younger. And then when I was in college, I actually got my first dog and I did a ton of research and decided that Alaskan Malamutes were the breed for me. I'm a really active person. I enjoy being outside. When beyond what lots of people think, Malamutes actually can do tons of different things. Oh, yeah. I've got three of them now, but I got started initially in dryland mushing sports when I got our first one because, believe it or not, I was a college student. I lived in a townhome, which most people are probably pulling their hair out going, oh my gosh, you owned an Alaskan Malamute. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) So I was really looking into different ways that I could provide enrichment to his life and keep him mentally mm-hmm. and physically sound so that he was a happy dog living in a condo. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's how I got into, um, specifically we got started with bike joring and then we went on some vacations on snow and actually got involved in ski joring as well. And so that was kind of my introduction into the sport. And that was back in 2011. So we have been enjoying it with our Malamutes ever since. So bike during and ski during, and you're going to talk about, and I had only in the last year or so heard of a thing called canacross. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So canacross is dog powered running. So think of sled dogs. Think of the Iditarod or the Yukon Quest where you've got dogs out in front and they're pulling and powering that sled. And it's the same exact concept, but you're running. So they're attached to the human 
and that's canicross. If you attach them out in front of a bike or a mountain bike, that's called bike joring. You can also do it with a scooter. You can do it with carts and rigs. And then you can also do it on cross-country skis, which is ski joring. So lots of different ways, depending on where you live, that you can get involved. Okay, so the part about how you don't have to be a great athlete, <laughs> I'm kind of giggling right now because I guarantee you that if I hooked myself up to my wire hair pointer and said run, <laughs> I'd be dead in about 30 seconds. So I'm not, I think we might have to revise that just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny because I've got a few clients that I'm working with right now that are interested in canny hiking. So dog powered hiking, which you can also do. But, you know, if you're not a big runner, you can walk like this or hike like this. Or if you want to go faster, if your dogs have a need for speed, you can always hook them up to a bicycle or to a scooter. And that way you don't have to physically move quite as fast. They're doing a little bit more of that power. Now, let me see if I can help you. <laughs> Definitely dead. Yeah. Squirrel gives home meaning. Definitely some foundation training that goes involved. <laughs> yeah. See, that's what I want to talk about. I want to hear about this foundation training. So this is a sport that's relatively new, isn't it? Skeetering, I've heard of. I would say it's relatively new in the U.S. Right. It originally got started as a way to do some cross training for sled dogs. Okay. How to keep them in shape and keep them fit when they didn't have snow to kind of work them out on. Okay. Has been very popular in the U.K. for a while and now is kind of making its way over into the U.S., but the U.S. does host a variety of both sanctioned and non-sanctioned events where people go out on scooters, bikes, and canicross runs. So if you look for them, you can find them. Right. So that's the thing. Is there a place, and we'll put links and stuff in the show notes. So there's a place you can go, and there's actually competitions to see who gets across the line fastest. Absolutely. So just like with the American Kennel Club, how... They have the Alaskan Malamute Club of America. Mm, and then there's right. even smaller subsets, Alaskan Malamute Club of Wisconsin or Minnesota. Right. Same kind of thing for dog sleds and dog sled events. And so you have smaller clubs and state groups that are putting events on that have prizes and are judged, but are non-sanctioned. Mm -hmm. And then you have basically the Olympics of dryland mushing sports where people from all over the world will go to sanctioned events. And you can actually represent your country at these events. So, oh my gosh, yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. I will. You're going to give For me sure. some links because I'm all about it. Okay, so let's do this one at a time. So, bike jurying. Okay, so can I just mention I can't ride a bicycle? <laughs> I know this is no, I mean, everyone laughs at me. Can I have horse jurying? Because I grew up on a horse. Yep. So I, did too. I can't yeah. ride a bicycle because a horse is a lot wider and it has its own four feet. <laughs> it has some self stability there too. So for those of us who show dogs, we often bike our dogs. Right. Yep. We hold them on a leash and we trot them along, and that's how they learn how to properly gait. Yeah. So this is a different because the dog is in front, not beside. Correct. And it's running really fast. It's just not trotting along at a nice dog show speed, right? Correct. Yes. And my Malamutes also know how to run on a loose leash next to a bike because we do that at dog shows too. Oh, so you can actually train them to do different things. What a concept, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Training and equipment. And they can totally understand the difference there. I love that. But yeah, for bike drawing... You can experience it a variety of ways, definitely depending on your experience level. So you could do flatter, kind of wider, easy sloping trails, 
all the way up to going on intermediate mountain bike trails with bridges and turns and hills. And so depending on what your dog enjoys and what each human enjoys, you can certainly experiment with it. But I laugh when you say that you didn't learn. You can see my face, my life flashing before my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing though when you said that you can't ride a bike very well because when I was starting bike drawing, that is when I was learning how to ride a bike. Yes, exactly. You're a horse person. You ride horses. You don't ride bicycles. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, we have some human mechanics that we need to work on and some dog mechanics, which should be practiced separately before they are combined. (laughs) So if you're a complete klutz like me and you can't ride a bicycle because you're going to die, you can try canacross. So this is where you're on your own feet and your dog is attached to you by some kind of harness equipment. Is that the idea? Yeah. So for all of these sports, there's a variety of harnesses the dogs can wear, but they're all designed for pulling. For canacross, you're going to have the same kind of bungee line that you have for bike drawing and ski drawing, except the only difference for canacross is they're then connected to the human. So they have these belts that are actually pretty comfortable to wear that distribute the pulling across the human hips so that it's really easy and comfortable. You know, it's not going to put a bunch of pressure on your back. And it really distributes that pulling so that, for example, if you're still working on training and your dog sees a critter, you don't die. The likelihood of you face planting is a little less. Okay. So here's my vision. I have this wire hair pointer named Bing. He's four years old. He is 75 pounds of muscle and fury in this concept and (laughs) speechless. Maybe I could rent him out. Is there somebody that needs a really amazing athlete companion? I could just like lease him out to somebody to win the Olympics. Renting can across dogs out. Yes, I'm telling you, I've got a new plan here. You definitely get it returned a tired and well-trained dog. I love this. So let's talk about the training. How do you do this? How do you train them to run in a straight line, not chase every squirrel that crosses the road? and basically survive this experience. Yeah. So I will relate it to something that you're probably pretty familiar with, AKC obedience, AKC rally. Right. When you look at the big picture, it looks very smooth, but there's a lot of little things that go into it to make up that big picture. And it's the same thing for mushing sports. So a lot of people are really eager to hook their dog up to the bike And if you do that without hitting groundwork, it's probably going to be disastrous. That's where I'm going in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Imagining just hooking up the dog in your house right now. There are some skills that we've got to establish. So let's talk about the skills. Yeah. So the big one that you've brought up a couple times is learning to ignore distractions. Mm -hmm. So we call that on by. And it's similar to what people teach as leave it. But it goes beyond just leaving the item. They have to keep moving forward. Uh So it's, I know there's a critter over there. Ignore that. Keep moving straight. Got it. So we teach on by. We also need speed control. (laughs) So in general, kind of the basics are stop, go. But when you get more advanced, we can teach the dog how to slow down, how to speed up so that you can really control their speed. So if we're on a pretty technical mountain bike trail and we start going downhill, I'm probably going to proactively ask my dog to slow down a little bit so that we don't crash down. So speed control is important. Another big one is teaching dogs how to put pressure into the line. Now for a lot of dogs, this comes naturally. You know, you think of sled dogs, Malamutes, Huskies, 
for a lot of those dogs, you put them in harness and they're good to go. Mm. And that's even true for some non-stereotypical mushing breeds. Mm. But for some dogs, we've done so much loose leash, right? right? Right. That they're like, wait, you want me to do what now? (laughs) So for some dogs, we have to even go to the basics of high pressure in this harness. This specific one is a good thing. And then teach them how to move out in front of the bike. So those are kind of our starting places. Mm-hmm. Depending on what kind of trails you run or bike on, you might need directions too. So that's a pretty standard skill that we teach how to turn right, how to turn left, how to keep going straight. So it can get more advanced than that. For a lot of people, those skills are enough. Some people will teach dogs how to move over on trails, you know, move to the left, move to the right. We use the same on by when we're passing people too. So a lot of it is teaching small skills on the ground and then just layering in different distractions, different environments so that they really figure out, ah, right means right no matter where I am. So we teach all of it on foot and then slowly kind of move to wheels if they want or slowly increase speeds. Okay. This is fascinating. I mean, I understand this as like mentally a concept. I'm still stuck on this world. <laughs> You're not the only one. I'm working with a pharaoh hound right now. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sight hound breed. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrified by that. Okay, so, <laughs> so in the very beginning, so you've got a dog and a bicycle and now you've bought a harness and you're starting to teach these steps. Mm-hmm. So you put the harness on the dog and you tell it, go forward. How do you teach that skill of actually pulling and going forward? There's a variety of ways that we can do it. And as you know, with dog training, there's no cookie cutter approach that works for everybody. Right. Generally, what I will do is I start with luring. So I'll hold the back of the harness, put a treat in front of the dog's nose and pull them forward. And when I feel pressure on that hand that's holding the harness, I'll mark it with yes and pay the dog. Got it. And we can repeat that process and we can put it on cue. I use the cue line out, which means move to the end of the line until you feel pressure. Okay. And so that starts to teach them to move out in front of us and to put pressure on that line. And then as we start hooking the dog up to a can across belt so that we can get them to move further and further in front, you could use something like a food dish in front of them as a target so that they move out to the food dish. You could also use some kind of mat where you teach them to walk and put their front feet on the mat. So there's a variety of ways that you can start to teach that process. And then once we're moving, generally the dogs are so excited to be able to run and kind of go as fast as they want. And then once we're hooked up and running, we can encourage pressure in the line by having a friend go out in front, kind of recreating a bunny, so to speak, Mm -hmm. so that that dog in back is encouraged to start pulling and moving forward. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Okay. So I'm sure that you definitely want to start with the can across, start with the belt on your own hips as the dog is learning and you offer a distraction of the rabbit that goes across (laughs) the path Uh and you've somehow taught it this on by. And if you're on your feet, you're less liable to die. Yes. (laughs) And generally moving at slower speeds in the beginning. Got it. So that when that jerk off to the right happens, if the dog makes a mistake, Mm -hmm. there's a little less speed to kind of cause you to go out of control. (laughs) But yeah, we start on foot. And if people want to move up to wheels, you know, if that's the goal in mind, Mm -hmm. then we can absolutely do that. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. 
All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, presented some challenges for all of us. You know, the good news, our patrons' numbers are still growing almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead. They literally keep the MP3s rolling. Meanwhile, the patrons-only After Dark Facebook Live and Zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success. Conversation, support, laughter, some education, some mentorship, lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. So in these competitions, Mm -hmm. so now you've got your dog and it runs in front of you and it goes really fast and you're some kind of like incredible athlete that runs with them or you're a a good athlete that rides a wheeled conveyance behind (laughs) them. How, How do they organize these competitions? So generally, when you sign up, they'll host them in different places on different trails. You'll get a trail map. You'll learn and kind of be able to walk where you're going to be going. There's different people along the path that are marking the trail, kind of giving you directions on where you're supposed to be going. And then it's set up. You have different times that you would run based on what event you're entered. So it's possible that you're doing one dog and you're running. So it's can across. Or you're doing two dogs on a scooter or you're doing two dogs on a bike. And then they'll separate it male and female. And so there's different classes you can enter based on what you're doing and different mileage that you will do based on the class that you're in. And then from there, you get the time that you start, you get your race bib, and then once you go, a timer starts. And so it really is the fastest person and dog team in each class that becomes the winner. Okay, so is there an option that I can sit in a three or four wheeled thing and let my wire hair drag me off a cliff? Yes. Excellent. But not just one. (laughs) You'll need at least two dogs. (laughs) Oh, you haven't met Bing. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So, so, So basically, in order to have a wheeled cart type of situation, you're required to have two dogs in harness together, like a team, basically. Yeah, so generally speaking... Can across is generally one dog when we're talking about competition. Right. Recreationally, you yeah, can do you whatever do you whatever. want. But right. um, in competition, you'll have single dog can across. You can get double, but it's not as common. And then the more wheels that you get or the bigger kind of vehicle that you get, the more dogs end up being attached to that team. So there are some, like if you're talking about Rigs, there are some rig races, which are three wheeled that you stand up on that you could do with two dogs. Okay. But 
again, you then have to look at the size and power of your dog because two French bulldogs would not be able to pull that, but two wire hair pointers certainly could. Oh yeah. Right off the cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And so when you're running in a team, now sled dogs have kind of a whole system of how they match their dogs. In this sort of a situation, are you running them front and back or side by side? Certainly depends. So I have done canacross with two of my Malamutes before. When I run canacross, they're always next to each other. Okay. When I'm doing bike joring or doing the scooter with them, my setup will change based on where I'm running them. So if we're on a busier, more narrow trail, I'm more likely to run them kind of in front of each other, like one lead dog and two behind in wheel, or two in lead and one in wheel so that it's a more narrow setup. If we've got, you know, let's say we're in the wilderness, a big wide open trail, I could certainly run all three next to each other, which would be called fan style. So the setup that you choose to run the dogs definitely depends on your training and where each dog is at. Some dogs prefer certain locations. Some dogs are not mentally there to be a lead dog. Right. So based on each dog's ability and kind of what your training goals are, you can change how you have your dog set up to accomplish different things. Nice. So this is a sport, a fun event that allows people to do stuff, train with their dogs that doesn't, I mean, I'm sure you could spend a million dollars on this just like you can on anything. Yeah. But I mean, legitimately, one harness for you, one for the dog, and a bungee cord seems like, you know, it's like yeah. we can do that. You know, and just like with everything, there's a variety of brands with different price points, and you can always buy used, but realistically, it doesn't cost a fortune to get into this. It's going to cost some time investment for training, mm-hmm. but it doesn't cost a lot to get started in it, which I really like because then that opens up the gates for a lot of people to enjoy this you know, and based on where you live and how active you are, this is something that possibly you guys could be doing all year round, or if not, most of the year. So you said can across like walking. Mm -hmm. So if I got my fat old pug bitch and I'm a fat old white, (laughs) (laughs) never mind. And I got myself a little fat lady harness and a little fat lady harness for my pug and we could walk together and she could pull me down the street. She'd be so happy. (laughs) I love to see the littles do it. It's great. (laughs) Well, it's totally, I will tell you, my partner who had pugs long before I knew him, they used to compete in weight poles in Leavenworth, Washington with the pugs and the pugs would win their size division. Uh Pugs are very strong little creatures. They're very (laughs) strong. And that's another thing that I absolutely love about this is you don't have to have a Malamute or a Husky to do this. You know, that's how I got started in it. But now that I'm in it, I mean, I'm helping people with pharaoh hounds and golden retrievers and mixed breeds, you know, like literally as long as you want to go outside with your dog, get some fresh air, you can totally do this because you can do it while hiking. You can do it while walking, running, biking, all the way up to the fast speeds. As a fitness thing, I see a lot of potential. Oh, for sure. Right. Because when you go for a walk with your dog and it wants to drag you around and sniff everything, now you've got a goal here. For the dragging around part. (laughs) And when you give dogs jobs like this and you're working the brain and the body, they come home so much more mentally stimulated and satisfied because you've worked the whole dog. We're not running the dogs into the ground. We're giving them a job, making them use that brain. And it's so beautiful to see that happen. You know, the dogs love it. 
They really do. Yeah. I am not the athlete, but this is a sport that I feel like wire hair pointers could dominate. <laughs> yes. Most of the top dogs in canicross and bike drawing are German short hair pointers. I mean, they're athletes. They're mm -hmm. crazy fast. And yeah, there's oh, a yeah. lot of purposefully bred dogs out there for this sport too. You know, if you want to get into those upper levels of, of the fastest, the best and the fastest. <laughs> the best and the fastest. Well, and I mentioned before we came on air, a dog of my breeding is running and competing very successfully in Canacross in Canada. Yeah. Which is why I was excited to do this. I'm like, please tell me what my dog's up there doing. I have no idea. <laughs> it's a pretty awesome thing to see. That's pretty cool too, that your dog is out there doing it right now. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And not a young dog. I mean, the dog is seven or eight. My youngest just turned five, my youngest Malamute mm -hmm. and my oldest are nine and 10 and they're still going out with us. Okay. So veteran people and veteran dogs can participate. Yeah. I mean, this last <laughs> season we were going out four days a week and they were easily going 10 miles per run. Mm. And obviously that's peak season and we've built up mileage, but I mean, they can go forever. You know what? That's a great one. Can you talk about that a little bit? Don't go out and run 10 miles with your dog tomorrow. Yes, for sure. <laughs> can you talk to that, please? <laughs> if we do that, we're going to have an injury, either in us or right. our dogs. Just like with people, you hear of like couch to 5K, and <laughs> half marathon and marathon training plans. We've got to do the same thing with our dogs. How about couch to the store? <laughs> we can do this, man. I know, right? <laughs> Getting outside is half the battle. There you go. But it takes some time. You know, you have to build up slowly with your mileage and they have to have off days because if you're running them every single day, you're more likely to cause injury. If you're going further than they're ready, you're going to, first of all, not get a good can across and pulling run in, but you're going to decrease their drive for the sport. So especially for somebody who's starting off, even if the human can run 10 miles, does not mean that the dog should go out and do it because our goal with all these can across runs and bike drawing runs is that we end when they want more. Because if we go out on a run, maybe I go out and I planned on doing five based on my training plan, but my dog is only pulling for three. I don't want kind of a crummy run where there's no pressure in that line for the last two miles because then I'm not getting rehearsal of that good behavior I want. Right. So it's right. not only about building their drive and endurance for the mileage, but also their drive and endurance for the sport. So we want to make sure that we're building up. Right. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's why that's mm -hmm. kind of slow ramp up. And generally for us, I mean, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. It's toasty mm -hmm. <laughs> during the summer. Super toasty and humid. Yes. So you do your training at midnight because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we actually don't run them in the summer. Oh yeah. You, could, you know, during yeah. the summer we do other cross training activities. We go swimming and hiking and we've got an indoor training room in our house with a treadmill, but come fall, you know, we've kept their fitness up over the summer and then we slowly start increasing mileage as that weather starts cooling off. So then peak season, which for us is December and January, mm -hmm. they're in good shape to do those nice long runs. And in competition, what is your average, or you said there's mileage. So is it like a five mile run and a 10 mile run and a 20 mile run? Or how does that work? It varies for sure. So just like with humans, how you could go out and do a one mile or a 5k, a half marathon, there are different mileage categories that you can enter. Generally speaking for humans that are running with their dogs, can across or bike joring, or even our small rig and sled teams, those are lower mileage because they're more sprinting type events. So you might see a 1K, 
You might even see a one mile race all the way up to kind of a 5k. Generally things above that are mid distance races, which are more with our sledding sports versus our wheeled and dry land. Okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. So what's a good time? How fast does a, say a Canacross team do a mile? Well, world record for a 5k is around 12 minutes which is way faster than I can do. Well, yeah. <laughs> Some of the top tier people are running four minute miles, which is fast. Oh yeah. It's faster Olympic than I could do. Athlete yeah. speed. <laughs> yes. And that's who really is kind of dominating the sport is people that right. probably ran track for their school at the university, at college, and then kind of moved into dogs from there. So it really is collegiate level running. Well, because running with your dog, come on. No better way to do it. <laughs> Right. Who wants to run alone? If you're running for any other reason, <laughs> put a gun to your head, then there's it. I, sorry, you might notice I'm not a runner. <laughs> running without dogs is hard. Once yes. again, there's a horse for that job. Well, hey, then maybe dog-powered sports are for you <laughs> because they're doing part of the work. <laughs> I like it. So you are literally running faster because the dog is pulling. Yeah, you definitely can be. Obviously, it depends on each individual team. Right, right. But yeah, if both are trained well and in good shape, mm -hmm. the dog can help you run faster. Fascinating. When we bike, we definitely have faster mileage than when we run because I am the weak link in the team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my dogs can run faster than I can. So if right, I can take right. my speed up a little bit, we'd be better. But yeah, absolutely. The dog helps the runner and the biker go faster. Excellent. One final question. I flitted in and now it just flitted back. <laughs> like prize money? Is this like a competitive, like you win stuff kind of sport or what is that? You can, you know, it's not a ton kind of going into the distance races like the Iditarod and Yukon Quest. They generally are spending more money on training for the year than they are winning. Yeah. But yeah, there are small prizes you can get. Some races will have rosettes and right. ribbons and trophies and Fun some stuff. small prize money. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. I love it. Okay. Well, I am super excited. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Absolutely. This has been fascinating. And I can't get this picture of Bing and I going off a cliff out of my head. So, <laughs> so we would need lots of impulse control. For lots him before you of impulse control. Yes. That would be exactly the <laughs> ticket. Oh, my goodness. All right, Chelsea, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.